We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself. Because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order? Cashback guru? Low intro APR lover? With US Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. US Bank credit cards are issued by US Bank National Association ND. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. You know, it's 12.02 right now. If they want to fire me at 12.05, I'll go home and find something to do. I'll have a good day. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA podcast. It is Thursday, November 14th. Nick Whalen back with Alex Barutha. Alex, this is podcast number one in the new studio. We've had about a month and a half worth of uh, renovations at our office. We've had construction crews coming in and out. We've had people tearing down walls, people putting up walls, people vacuuming seemingly 12 hours a day and just providing general noise. Uh, but it is all over. We are we are in the new studio. It's great. It is about probably twice the square footage. <laughs> I think so. At, at least twice the square footage of our of our previous studio. Um, unfortunately, in the in the other studio, we have like a fifty inch TV that w- that we can watch while we while we record. This one, uh, as you astutely pointed out, is perhaps the exact model from the dinner party episode of The Office um, that Michael Scott so loves and then ultimately destroys by the end of the episode. Um, it's about 17 and a half inches, maybe, so. uh, in, in, in uh, diagonal. 
Uh, we are currently watching 1992 USC versus UCLA football. Uh, so we'll keep you posted on that uh, as the podcast progresses. Uh, I should say we are sponsored by FanDuel, we as are. always. Thank you to FanDuel for jumping on board again this year. Um, we're going to spend most of this pod um, just kind of talking about guys who we either regret buying in on during draft season or, or guys who we've been pleasantly surprised by uh, from a fantasy perspective. But first, uh, we'll kind of take a little tour around the league, kind of talk about some of the games from last night and a few from tonight. It's a, a fairly uneventful um, Wednesday, Thursday in the league. Kind of a weird schedule this week with the league not putting a ton of games on Monday and Wednesday. It's kind of more evenly spaced out, which for people like us who who work in in this industry that is great it is awesome not having 13 games on one night um the headliner i think last night was clippers rockets we had almost a full clippers team no paul george they took that down to about two hours before tip we thought maybe we would see him we will see paul george tonight we will not see Kawhi leonard um in, in tonight's game uh, against new orleans that of course is a actually no it's not national tv i think they went with dallas and dallas and new york is the the first I, game on tnt tonight i understand because of the porzingis return yeah but you would have thought you know Kawhi against zion paul like the clippers pelicans should have well it does feel like the pelicans have already been on tv like way too much i remember when they when they put the tv numbers out back in like august or september it was like, wow, they are really buying in on Zion. And I, th- I think most people were for it. And especially once we saw him in the preseason, it was like, you know, put all 82 games on. Like, I will watch him. Uh, but the Pelicans have turned out to be not quite so watchable without Zion Williamson. Uh, Drew Holiday has really struggled. I, I have a feeling we might hit on him later in the podcast. Uh, but both you and I were were all in on the Clippers winning in Houston last night. Um, yes. you, know, you, went, you went on one of our video affiliates and talked about it. I, I put some cash down uh, on, on the Clippers' money line. Kept it close for most of the game after a terrible first quarter. They were down 16 after one, battled back, even took the lead into the third and fourth quarter. Uh, but James Harden kind of slammed the door on, on Kawhi towards the end of that. Yeah, unfortunately, I missed like the first half, three quarters of this game because I was doing, I was doing a very exciting grocery store stop. Oh. I actually saw a oh, college yeah. football podcast, John mckechnie oh no way what grocery uh, store he was working out uh in the at the grocery store <laughs> well he, i went to metcalf's oh. and there's a there's a fitness place apparently in the basement of that building i don't even know i i don't even know where this metcalf's is but i i fully support <laughs> metcalf's they have the best grocery bags in town nice and thick right never gonna split on you um but i i also i mean i agree i really thought the clippers i i could not figure out why they were two-point underdogs despite all indications that Kawhi was going to play the Rockets had basically no good wins, um, second easiest schedule in the league. With like, I was back in my mind. I was worried it was a trap line, like one of the situations where everyone's going to bet the Clippers. It turned out like the Rockets just have the Clippers number somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, Kawhi was still great. I mean, Kawhi's always great, um, but it just—I don't know. I. Uh, I still stand by the Clippers being like probably the best team in the league still. This was I, I a little so. concerning losing to like a Rockets team without Daniel House, without Eric Gordon. Like the, yeah. the amount of talent that the well, I, w- I would argue that they're better without Eric Gordon the way that he shot the ball. That's a fair this point. year. Yeah, um, but no, I'm with you. I mean, there were I, I think there were times when you know I, I was able to watch this full game. Like where it, it could have been a bigger first half lead. Like Ben McLemore at one point missed three consecutive wide open threes on nice passes from Harden. Um, and he was, he finished two of eight from three Westbrook was two of seven Tucker, you know, two of three Austin rivers, one of eight, you know, like for the, for the Clippers to lose 
a game like this and you know they lost by nine it was it was much closer you know doc got teed up and kicked out patrick beverly got teed up late um you know things got away from the clippers once once it was clear that they weren't going to win um but I, I think to not be able to score against this Rockets defense was a little concerning. 93 and, and points, yeah. Kawhi was good. I wouldn't say he was great. I mean, 26, 12, and 7 is a nice line, but he was 10 of 24 from the field. Uh, didn't quite look as as comfortable and, you know, just wasn't able to get to the rim, you know, with, with the ease that he has uh, in a lot of games this season. But Beverly really killed them. He was 0 of 7 from 3. You know, they were 10 of 33 as a team. But no, I was with you. I mean, I, I really thought this was kind of a nice opportunity to to take the Clippers on the road. But James and I yesterday were, you know, talking about the Rockets. I think we both had them at number 10 in our power rankings. And one of the reasons for for having them a little bit lower, despite being seven and three going into last night, was all the good teams they had played, they had lost to. And all the bad teams they played, they had beaten. This is actually their signature win so far. Um, And, you know, I I think this isn't the full Clippers team and we have to we have to judge it appropriately, but it's still a good win. I think for Houston. I mean, this is a Clippers team that has has rested Kawhi twice already. They'll rest him again tonight. That'll be his third rest day already. Um, so you know, they'll be seven and four going into tonight without having a game with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, you know, on the court at the same time. Right. I mean, this. I think this is a bigger win for the Rockets than it is a loss for the Clippers. Mm-hmm. Um, I Harden has been ridiculous. Um, continues to be insanely talented. I Westbrook. I was looking up some of his stats. I think he's shooting 22% from three this year, which is he's on pace for three consecutive seasons under 30% from three with like four or five attempts per game. It's crazy. I mean, he is, he's kind of, I mean, he has basically settled into like the second man role. Like there's no yep. question. It became so obvious once the season started that Hargan's the number one guy and that Westbrook is just there. I want to say there for the ride. But, I mean, you see this game, 17 points, two rebounds, two assists. Like, he just – I mean, he took 20 shots, but that's what Mm. Westbrook does. I mean, and when there's so little talent on the court for the Rockets, I understand that he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot, but – I think you want him being the second option as long as he's cool with it, which for now he seems to be. Right. You know, he seems to have bought in as – you know, he's the Dwayne Wade to to Harden's um, LeBron, I think, for for this tandem, and as long as that's the case, and he's not trying to do too much, I, I think that's kind of the ideal situation. And the three point shooting is an issue for sure. I mean, he's, I think, in, you know, once we get a bigger sample, he's probably going to be taking just as many as he did last season. Right now, he's at four point nine per game. Last year, he was at five point six. But he's he's the worst three point shooter in the league by far among players who take his volume or even get close to his volume. You know, I mean, you have you have guys who will take one every few games and miss it. Um, you know, you're even like a Simmons type who at some point maybe will take one or two open ones. But in terms of guys who are taking five threes a game, nobody's shooting 22%. I mean, no. when we used to kill Marcus Smart, you know, for being a bad three-point shooter, he was at like 30%, you know, and, and like it's it's gotten that bad. And I think equally concerning is the fact that he's shooting 66% again from the line on virtually the same number of attempts. Um, I think that was something that, you know, wishful thinking wise, you were, you were, you know, you were kind of hoping a new situation, you know, it's a guy who's kind of toyed with the shot over and over kind of in LeBron like ways over the years, um, that maybe he would jump back to being an 80 plus percent free throw shooter. Like he was for almost a, a decade straight. Um, but now, you know, looking at his last four years, 85, 74, 66, 66. And, you know, I know we're only 10 games in, but he's taken 60 plus, um, free throws at this point, you know, it's not, it's not like he's taken 15 and he's just, you know, kind of off to a rough start. Right. I, he's, 
he's become such a strange player type. Like he, it, it made sense, you know, when he was for most of, like you said, for the better part of a decade, like you understood, you know, who Westbrook was. He was in it. He, he still is like an attacking guard who is going to do most of his damage in transition. But now that he like cannot shoot a three pointer and cannot shoot free throws and isn't a plus defender, it's, it's very strange. He's just mm-hmm. like this insane transition player. And then in the half court, it's, it doesn't mesh very well. Like it's just so odd. I I can't I can't think of a good like comparison for him at this point. Just like a really inefficient guard who's deadly in transition. But I, I think the comp and you know they're certainly not um, like the same player by any means. But I think Allen Iverson later in his career and even at his peak, you know, in terms of the volume plus the inefficiency sure. you know not many guys can get away with it you know you have to be <laughs> you have to be a certain personality type and you have to be in a certain situation where you're allowed to take you know 24 shots a game and shoot 42 percent from the field you know most guys if they do that they're coming off the bench or they're playing 15 minutes a game or they're out of the league you know and you know for him to kind of have the early success that he did and kind of build up that reputation uh similar in a, in a way to iverson um you know, once you start playing a certain way, I think it's you just go too far down that path and you can't reverse it. And he was obviously in a situation where he was coddled in, in OKC, I think especially after Durant left. Um, they were more than happy to kind of let him fire away, even if there were more efficient ways to play. Right. Um, and, you know, as we found over and over, you really have trouble uh, deep in the postseason and, and even more more recently early in the postseason you know, when you play that style, it, it, it works at, at times. It works depending on who you have around you. Um, but you know, the Rockets, I think still have a lot of figuring out to do, um, until we consider them like a real, real, real championship contender out West. I think they will be in the mix, but to me, the Clippers and the Lakers are on another level. I agree. Um, I mean, Iverson, Iverson hit his free throws, first of all. That's yes. And he was a three time steel champion. Mm. Like he was good on defense, led well, the league three times. Well, he, he got was, a lot I of mean, steals. Didn't Harden lead the league in steals last year? Uh, did he? I think he did. Okay uh even still like i for the for the rockets the main thing is just like are hargan and westbrook going to show up in the postseason because they just Mm. haven't over the past a lot of their career honestly it's just been a lot of playoff failings which has been their problem so right so if you put two guys together (laughs) who both can't play (laughs) in the playoffs maybe that cancels out yeah uh also yeah hard hard definitely did not lead the league in skills last year correction i don't know where i got that i think it was paul george so hopefully I can guess right on that one. <laughs> um, but no, the Iverson comparisons are interesting. I've heard people throw that out just from like a personality, you know, the way he dominates an organization, you know, and I think for Westbrook, it's a little more positive than it was for Iverson at times, especially towards the end. Um, you know, and Iverson obviously bounced around in, in ways that that Westbrook probably won't um, that were out of out of Iverson's control. But I, I think, you know, the the trade-off in terms of volume and efficiency, there's, there's just not that many guys to to compare him to. Um, the one saving grace though for Westbrook, I guess, is he is shooting it really well from two point range. So like his overall field goal percentage is good. You know, when, when you're taking five threes a game and shooting 22%, you would think you'd barely be cracking 40% from the field. Right. Um, but he's at 54% from two point range, which is by far a career high. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's a, a product of the Rockets spacing, which we've seen Harden thrive in so much. And I mean, the floor is especially spaced when, Westbrook has the ball because Harden is out by the three-point line or closer to half court just standing there. Mm-hmm. But he's technically spacing the floor. Um, and, 
yeah, I think I think this kind of offense, this is the what kind of offense you want Westbrook in. Yep. And so the, the two-point percentage increase, I think, makes sense because he's not meeting as much resistance when he actually gets to the rim. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting, too, that they, they did stagger uh, Westbrook and Harden uh, you know, a decent amount uh, last night. You know, I think when, they, when the Rockets made their run, uh, Westbrook was on the bench for a lot of that. You know, and there were a lot of shots of him you know, kind of cheering on James Harden. And I think they do play differently. You know, it, it kinda, it's a little more like last year's Rockets when Russ is off the court. Um, you know, he's not the same player as CP3. But I think in, in swapping CP3 for Russ, you eliminated some problems, maybe more off-court personality type of problems and created a different issue in terms of the on-court fit uh, but I'm, I'm still in on the Rockets overall I think they're like the last few years I think they'll go through some big ups and big downs and there's going to be times where everyone wants to write them off there's going to be times where they'll maybe win eight in a row and look like the best team in the west right. and chances are we're, we're going to get to May and June and you know they're going to be right in the thick of it but I like I said I, I think they're still a step or two behind you know the two best teams out west Fantasy basketball fans, the NBA regular season is in full swing, and FanDuel is offering the most exciting ways to play fantasy basketball no matter what you're looking for. FanDuel has something for everyone, tons of different contests and formats to choose from, and these contests start at just $0.25 per entry. All you have to do is pick a contest, choose your team, and enjoy watching your results in real time. You can play against your friends for bragging rights, or you can play against the public for millions of dollars in cash prizes. To take advantage of our special offer for new FanDuel users, sign up today at FanDuel.com slash RW. That's FanDuel.com slash RW. You'll get a free six-month Rotowire subscription with that first deposit on FanDuel. That'll get you access to our DFS lineup optimizers, premium articles, draft software, everything you need to win your leagues this season. Just visit FanDuel.com slash RW. Void where prohibited. It looks like um, Harden and Westbrook are playing 22 minutes a game together. Um, which I think is that's pretty close to what the yeah. CP3 Harden stagger was. So, yeah, I mean, I obviously a really talented team. They've had this, they've had this, their system in place for so long at this point mm-hmm. that um, the continuity with the system and with Harden just being the main guy, it's, it yep. seems to work. How uh, how keyed in are you going to be on this Porzingis return to New York tonight? <laughs> um, I. I think I care more about watching Luka Doncic. Yeah, I you know the the Knicks are they're 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 a joke at this point. I don't I don't think like I think the fans are gonna boo him, but I don't I don't I don't anticipate it being something that I honestly I'm like I I'm not I haven't been waiting for this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like at the beginning of the season, I wasn't like oh wait till Porzingis goes back to New York. New York that wasn't really part of what I was excited about. Well, part of it's that he hasn't played in like two years, you know, so it wasn't like this. I mean, it was kind of an acrimonious exit, I guess, in some ways, but he wasn't on the court for any of that. It it all kind of felt like it was playing out on the sideline. You know, there wasn't it's just been too much time, I guess. You know, like I'm sure New York is still going to let him hear it tonight. I have no doubt about that. But um, it just seems like so long ago that he left even, you know, we've had so much time to process it that the the kind of shock value of him leaving New York has has worn off for me. Yeah, and he's like the type of player that he is right now post injury with Luka Doncic isn't really like who he was in New York like when he his his the season that he got hurt when he was playing for the Knicks he was like their entire offense mm-hmm. um he was taking i felt like 20 shots a game 
And now he's kind of just this spacing seven foot three wing that gets passes from Doncic, and he doesn't. He still can't go to the basket. He, you know, he can't post up anybody and and do a jump hook or anything like that. So I don't. I'm not expecting him to like come out and bury the Knicks or anything no. like that. And it would be a story if he does. And I think it's probably you yeah. know people are going to watch in hopes that he scores like 35 mm-hmm. points. But he's just he hasn't the the. The style of play that he's in right now is not conducive to like a 35 or 40 point dominant game with like 15 boards or anything like that. He's just not playing like that. No, and we can we can now I guess transition into you know talking about guys who who've disappointed or impressed us so far. And he's on my list. I mean, he was somebody I took in an NFBKC league. Uh, I was it was kind of down to him or Bam Adebayo for me, and I went with Porzingis. I kind of got caught up in the name value i guess in retrospect and at the point that i took him it was somewhere in like mid to late third round so it was it was good value i thought but in retrospect i should have just taken bam you know i I think it would have felt like a little bit of a reach at the time but um i mean porzingis is i think the 76th ranked player right now in in yahoo and uh, you know he had that one for 11 game the other night and i I won't go into too much depth on him because i talked about this with james but his like night to night floor is much lower than most superstars and i think his ceiling is even a little bit lower than than a lot of superstars you know his he's he's such an impressive like physical specimen like he moves for a 7-3 guy like more fluidly than than anyone for that size i mean he's there's a, a photo of him standing next to boban a couple of weeks ago when they when they you know they're on the same team now and like they're they're basically the same height and like boban runs and moves like someone who's seven four right and porzingis runs and moves like someone who's like six nine and for him to he like you said he hasn't really capitalized on that quite yet and you know he he has been away from the game for a long time and maybe that'll come but i mean you're seven foot three and shooting 40 percent from the field as a seven foot three player and he really as you alluded to as well has not really developed a post game you know he's not someone like you watched lebron last night anything any time that he had uh jordan Poole or you know kai bowman or d'angelo russell whoever it was switched out on him backed him all the way down from the three-point right. line whether he finished it or not he was backing him down and you don't really see that out of porzingis he's never been a great rebounder for his size that's always been disappointing he has been a good shot blocker this year but you know just two steals in nine games um i guess just just hasn't really been quite the the all-around difference maker that i had hoped he would be you know coming back with with all this extra weight and extra strength Right. I think he, he has a relatively low floor, partially because he's only taking 16 shots a game. And when that happens, you're kind of prone to like having just one of those games where you score like 12 points. Also, not a great rebounder at all. Pro- actually, probably a bad rebounder yeah. for his size. Um, partially because he spends so much time on the perimeter, like he's averaging less than one offensive rebound this season, which I part of me says it, I don't care how tall or you know how far away from the basket you are. If you're like seven three, one offensive rebound a game um but yeah i think i mean as far as fantasy is concerned i don't think he's going to keep shooting 40 percent from the field and i don't think he's going to continue shooting 68 percent from the free throw line so when his free throw percentage comes up back to like 75 80 percent like his career average once he stops shooting 42 percent from two-point range i think both of those percentages come up and he probably averages close Mm -hmm. to 20 a game you know and that's such a huge difference maker in fantasy is like percentages because not only are you getting a raise in those categories but also your points are probably going up mm-hmm. so you know i think i think he could still finish the season above bam i think that's possible but 
you know, you also have to factor in, is he going to stick on back-to-backs? Yep. Stuff like that. Yeah, he's already sat out once, you know, and I think there's there's a case to be made that you know, he would be a guy if you're looking to trade for a buy low type of player. I think he's not going to be any worse, which I think is kind of the case you just made. Um, and he hasn't been like terrible. He hasn't been a disaster by any means, but it does kind of seem like what he's been what he's been doing, you know, through these first nine games is probably like, you know, over a nine game sample, probably about as mediocre as it's going to get. Yeah, I agree. I think if you're, you know, if you're in danger of not cashing in your league mm-hmm. if you're towards the bottom i think trading porzingis for a you know a guy who's on a hot streak might be worth it just to try to get some just to rise up in the rankings even if it potentially bites you long term i think that's a move you could make um i don't know i i know i think you're probably lower on porzingis than i am as a player in general I mean, I think, you know, part of the issue with his post-up game is that he's so tall and so skinny Mm -hmm. that his center of gravity is, like, so high that it's hard for him to back guys down. But theoretically, he should be able to hit, like, a 13-foot jump hook on people. You would think. Um, Especially since he, you know, he... When when you see him rise up, it's Durant-esque when he shoots over people. You're like, oh, my God. Like, that's... It's an open shot for him anytime someone is on him that's, like, six foot seven. Like, it's completely open. Um so I, I don't think he's ever going to be a good rebounder, but his, his shot blocking, his floor as a shot blocker is really high. And, um, you know, when you have Luka Doncic passing to you, you're always going to get easy looks. And Rick Carlisle has proven to be an amazing coach. So he's going to put everyone in positions to succeed. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, like I said, I still think Porzingis could end up above Bam in, in fantasy. It wouldn't surprise me. Let's talk about the value in daily fantasy for a minute. The big prizes are attractive, but you have to finish in the top 2% out of thousands of experts to win any real money. So even on your best day, you still feel like you're losing. Now you can play something better, and that is Stat Hero. Stat Hero is a house-based game that combines the best of daily fantasy and survivor pools. Each Stat Hero contest lasts multiple days, but requires only one entry fee, so your money lasts longer. Yes, you can play multiple days with only one entry fee. Stat Hero gives you smaller contests and more chances to win, and no more competing with sharks or experts ever because your only competition is Stat Hero itself. You play Stat Hero, you beat Stat Hero, you get paid by Stat Hero. Survive the game and download Stat Hero today and see how the face of Daily Fantasy has changed. Finally, a game designed for the rest of us. Stat Hero, now open for NFL and NBA and available on both iOS and Android. For more information, visit stathero.com. Who are some of your guys um, that, that you've either been disappointed or impressed by? Um, I think, well, we, there's been a lot of Malcolm Brogdon talk in this podcast, so mm-hmm. we can probably <laughs> move past him. Uh, we've talked about Ingram, too. One guy that I actually thought was going to be two guys, I'll say. Two guys I just traded in our uh, in our Dynasty League, our Staff Keeper League, uh, Alex Len and Kent Bazemore, I thought were going to be legit, <clears throat> like top 80 players. Like I was drafting them, pick 100 yep. in so many drafts. Bazemore is actually playing a little bit now, um, but I think that's only because the Trailblazers have like what, six players available um, because of injury situations. But mm-hmm. yeah, he just went back down to 22 minutes last night. I, I really thought he was going to – I thought he just wasn't getting minutes in Atlanta last year because he was coming off an injury and they were tanking. Like, there's no reason to play Kent Bazemore more than 24 minutes in that situation. He's actually playing less this year for a team that's trying to compete and trying to win. 
I just, I don't understand it. Um, he's shooting horribly from the field, especially. Um, and Alex Len, like he, all the talk over the summer was like, Alex Len's going to come in. He's going to play. He's going to start. He's going well, to, they tried. They, they did try. <laughs> uh, and it seemed like, like, yeah, you could be a top 80 player mm-hmm. and yeah, you know, he had a good game off the bench the other night. But the fact that he can't consistently get minutes over Bruno Fernando and Damian Jones. Those guys like, are not good. Whoever, yeah, whoever they decide to throw out there at center. Like Alex Len should be able to get more than, mm-hmm. you know, 14 minutes a game most nights. It's just not happening. Yeah, I was I was pretty in on both of those guys, especially Len. I, th- I thought we were going to see a, a Lenaissance, if you will. Mm-hmm. He was in such a great spot. Um, I mean, that was, it, that was their weakest position, I think. And you can maybe argue like the wing, you know, but, you know, they beefed up with, with Reddish and DeAndre Hunter and, and even Bembry, I, I kind of like. But center was kind of the spot. You know, I, I don't think they were going to go forth and be like, all right, this is our five for the next 10 years. You know, I, I don't think right, Alex right. Lund was going to be that guy, but he had kind of fallen into the situation where it looked like, is he going to average like 30 minutes a night just by default? And then John Collins goes down, you know, one game into the season. Like, you're thinking like, this is ideal. <laughs> And since John Collins has been suspended, like Len's been playing even less. It's just it's the Jabari Parker show. It really has been. I mean, of, of all people, um, <laughs> but I mean, Len is just. I, and I, I don't think there's an injury. I know he was a little banged up during the preseason, but it's gotten to the point with him where I think they gave him pretty much every opportunity to kind of grab hold of that, and he just he was so bad through those those first ten games or so that now it looks like. I mean, they started Damian Jones the other night. They're going to keep trying Fernando. <clears throat> maybe we see more small lineups you know Jabari's not exactly a center but it just it just seems like they've kind of capped Alex Len at like 14 minutes like that's all they can afford yeah he's also shooting really bad from three and like that was his main you know that was the thing that gave him you know, I think it seemed like his value would improve there uh, maybe I'm biased in thinking it would stick because I I went to a Bucks game last year and I pretty sure I watched Len get his career high like six three-pointers made it was hilarious um but he's only shooting 16% from three this year on like two attempts a game. And last year that was 36%. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just, it's just really surprising because I've, you know, ever since he was drafted, I'm like, I think Alex Len, I think, I think he's actually might be the best player make, in the league. Yeah. He might, yeah, exactly. He's going to average 20 and 10. His post game is unstoppable. And um, this is, <laughs> at this point, this is looking like potentially his last stop. And it, it really seemed like, and kind of like you alluded to, <clears throat> Like even if the Hawks don't think that Alex Len is their guy at center, you would think mm-hmm. they would try to play him a ton, get his numbers up, and then trade him. Like try to increase his trade value by throwing him out there whenever they can. But at this point, maybe they're worried that if they play him, it's going to reduce his trade value. So I don't. Yeah, I don't, I don't really think know. he has like the trade value thing is just off the table. I don't know what team. You know, at that point, you're just like maybe you can get a super protected first, and that's probably even way too high. Trade him to another tanking team, a yeah. team that's tanking even harder. <laughs> yeah. It's like the Knicks are really eyeing up Alex Len right now. <laughs> yeah, I did, I did not see uh, Frank Kaminsky kind of having like a mini, um, you know, I wouldn't even say breakout, I guess, in Phoenix, but he's been way better than Alex Len so far. And like I said, I was all in on him. Uh, Brogdon, I, I think, is you know on my list as well, one of the top candidates. Uh, we can we don't really have to talk too much about Ingram too. I mean, James and I hit on him quite a bit yesterday. Right. It's kind of I mean, Ingram has been, you know, for for as much as the Pelicans have struggled, I mean, he's been kind of one of the big stories uh, overall in the NBA so far. I mean, it's I think injuries have kind of been the number one issue. You know, the Lakers playing well is always going to be popular, but 
I mean, Brandon Ingram and Andrew Wiggins, I guess, for that matter. <laughs> Wiggins. Like, two guys that I, I don't think anybody was ready to write off Brandon Ingram quite yet. People would, people were definitely write, ready to, to write off Ingr- uh, Wiggins. But both of those guys have been incredibly good in ways that we didn't exactly expect. I mean, Brandon Ingram has become like a lights-out three-point shooter, which was a huge area in which he had struggled early in his career. And, you know, Wiggins has started to do things on defense. He started to pass the ball a little bit more. Um it, it both of them kind of seem like fool's gold in their own way but you know at least until zion williamson gets back I, I, brandon ingram has been the best player for the pelicans i agree i mean we're finally getting to see him in kind of this primary ball handler role you, know, you got a lot of paul george comps i mm-hmm. think or, you know coming out of the draft um, which is something that i you know that probably a pretty extreme comp but i generally agreed with um and I think this is all people like this. This is all people need to see who like like me who are high on Brandon Ingram to be like, yeah, this is who he should have been this whole time, and he's still so young, and this is the case with a lot of these guys. Like, you know, we if players peak between like twenty six and twenty nine, most of these guys are still two three years away from potent, you know being the final versions of themselves, mm-hmm. and I think you know. I, there was plenty of reason to still believe in ingram i think it was completely fair to write off andrew wiggins and i did um believe me i did believe believe me most of us did uh i mean i drafted him in in our in our stake league Mm -hmm. but you can i mean talk about you can always draft him a pick like 100 in fantasy and he's gonna get that value for you and then on the off chance that he breaks out then it, yeah. it's gonna work and you know we've been doing it for like four years but finally this is the year yeah i think uh, i prioritized terrence ross over him in that league <laughs> it was which is an auction but my god my stake team sucks badly um jonathan isaac is another guy yeah who's uh in the good category here um i, I think he probably flies under the radar much more than the other two we just talked about just because one he plays for you know a team that doesn't get a lot of coverage he plays for a team that's struggling in orlando and he hasn't had the you know 40 point nights or game winners you know that that wiggins has had he's been like his line is if you just read this to the average basketball fan you'd be like okay 12 points six and a half rebounds under two assists but 2.8 blocks 1.3 steals 36 percent from three 50 percent from the field and up to 91% from the line on, on relatively few attempts. I mean, he's taken 23 free throws, but still to for a guy who is 76, 82, and then if he can maintain this, you know, above 90 or right around 90, huge leap for him. Um, I, I don't know what his ultimate ceiling is. You know, I don't think he's ever going to be a 20-point-per-game scorer. You know, might might never be higher than 15 or 16, but uh, he's kind of following that, that like, Karolinko, Sean Marion type of mold, which is a fairly rare mold. You know, not many guys can can really have great success in that role. Right, yeah. I mean, his his field goal attempts, like, per 100 possessions have basically been stagnant for his first three years in the league. So I don't know what it's going to take for those to bump up. I don't know if he's ever going to turn into, like, a knockdown three-point shooter. But 36%, I mean, if he can keep shooting that, that's, that's all he needs to do. Mm-hmm. His defensive rating is 96, which is incredibly good you know i think he he can be a two block per game guy but he has basically doubled his block rate almost from you know which is possible that he's you know he's developed that much but yeah he um he's going to just be a really good fantasy player for a long time if he can continue basically somewhere close to this level of production even if it's basically you know 12 and 6 with uh three combined steals and blocks Mm -hmm. instead of like four and a half 
Yeah, I've been really impressed with him. Uh, not a huge surprise. I mean, he was kind of one of those guys that everything you heard about him was like he's on the verge of putting it together. Yeah, of course, we'd heard that about some of the other guys we've talked about, but it, with him, it you know he didn't show some of the concerning signs early on. You know that you saw from from Wiggins and Ingram, and you know he had some injuries early on, but he's he's really come into his own, and you know it's kind of a shame that Orlando has struggled and he hasn't really gotten a ton of pub for it. Where are you at on Fred Van Vliet? Um, he is ranked 26th in the rankings that I'm looking at, which are essentially Yahoo eight category based on per game average. A big part of that is the fact that he's playing 38, 39 minutes per game. You know, we've, the Raptors have basically, we're running like a seven man rotation early on. I am. And then two veterans immediately got hurt in Ibaka and and Lowry. So we'll kind of see, you know, the full extent of this depth, but I think Van Vliet and, and OG, I think we could probably talk about together. He's been in the top 50, um, you know, kind of sim- kind of a poor man's Isaac in some ways in the ways that he's improved. I was I was very concerned for like Lowry's. He's playing like 38, 39 minutes a game. And like in my head, I was like, he is that he's going to get hurt if he keeps doing this. And then he did. Um, I did not think Fred Van Vliet was this good of a passer. I think that's the thing that is fueling his fantasy value and was part of the reason that I was not super high on him coming into the season is because if you looked at basically like every stat you could look at, you know, know, Lowry misses a chunk of games Mm -hmm. or just off, you know, Lowry off the court stats, Van Vliet's his, his field goal attempts didn't really go up by that much. Um, and his assist, you know, average, his assist rate didn't change dramatically to where I was like, Oh yeah, he can be a top 50 player. I was like, you know, maybe the top 75, and I was never someone who ended up drafting him, but you know he's really stepped up, like, and which is great because they've they've needed him to, like you said, because they're basically running a seven man rotation. And Nick Nurse refuses to play guys like Stanley Johnson and Rondé Hollis Jefferson, who he openly called out in preseason for being not good. He's like these guys aren't good. They are good. I, <laughs> I agree with them. <laughs> um, so I I think this can stick for Van Vliet. I don't anticipate him playing 43 minutes per game for the rest of the season and i think that would be my main concern is that the raptors eventually just fall apart from a um just unsustainable workload perspective and if they start losing too many games then you start getting into like you know maybe tank mode Mm -hmm. and then fred van vliet's minutes get pulled down to like 30 um and you know it just doesn't become as valuable anymore same with og ananobi although i'm i'm less worried about ananobi's minutes potentially because i think if anything if they go into a tank that they'll prioritize getting an ob minutes and run over someone like fred van vliet mm-hmm. who is you know they, they're pretty they know who fred van vliet is yeah he is so much better than i ever thought he would be coming out of wichita state um and this team i, I kind of told james yesterday i'd you know we'll, we'll see how they ultimately end up you know how what these injuries end up doing to them but you know they beat a very good lakers team the other night uh, after lowry and ibaka got hurt I, I still don't think they're a real contender this year they're still you know probably another piece away but they are in a really really good position whether it's this summer or sometime in the very near future to kind of hit the reset button and not miss a step you know when you you have siakam in tow at a great price um right. You know, I, I think you have these assets in Lowry and and Ibaka and even Gasol to some extent that you'll you'll, you'll probably kind of mutually part ways at some point and maybe get some value back. And you know, they've kind of hit on some of these guys, Siakam included. You know, Van Vliet, uh, even Norman Powell to some degree, although he's probably a little bit overpaid. They've hit on so many of these 
late first round second round guys that it's been able to round out their roster really well right and now they're in position to you know kind of shop around for a big time free agent um i don't know who that will be this summer one name that james brought up was bogdanovich you know trade from him trade for him from sacramento with the intent to sign him you know what is his ultimate ceiling he's a little bit of an older player having played internationally um siakam sneaky kind of old i think he's what 26 already um i mean a guy who played several years in college um so i mean you know you don't necessarily have this wide open window siakam turns 26 in april for the record um but you know there you know you have kind of a 1a piece in siakam that if you're able to bring in maybe not even a Kawhi Leonard type you know they're set up to be a contender I think in the east basically for as long as Siakam is in his prime which will probably be at least another five or six years yeah I think they can well one interesting though is Van Vliet's actually shooting better from three than he is from the field only 38 percent from the field for Van Vliet which is incredible that he's still like a top 40 fantasy player he's basically doing the exact same thing he was through the playoffs when he was just launching from all over the place and everything was falling it does seem a little unsustainable something he's probably a sell high guy his true shooting percentage is the exact same as last mm-hmm. year. Um, but yeah, I think I think the Raptors are in a unique spot because you know all the you know the metrics that we have suggest that they are a legitimate playoff team mm-hmm. and that they could make some noise. But I think they're in a spot where they could both go for it or pull back. Yeah. And I think both options can work well. They have enough pieces to where if they want to sell them off and and try to do this re, uh, like a rebuild that they can get some good pieces and if they want to go for it and acquire some pieces mm-hmm. that um i think free agents or whoever they end up bringing in very much understands that nick nurse is a really good coach yep this is a very established team uh even without Kawhi leonard and that you know it's it's starting to feel like a little like a little spursy yeah yeah, well, I think I I think the Spurs will never we're never going to see a two decade run no, like I mean, that that's again. Ridiculous. But I think you know Masai is probably the biggest part of that. Like he's Masai is almost like their version of Pop, right? In a lot of ways, where it's like as long as he is there and in charge, people seem to have this kind of innate trust in him. And you know, if he ever leaves, you know, maybe it would collapse. But it seems like they've kind of finally found their guy. You know, Dwayne Casey was a very good coach to kind of build this Raptors program. And now it seems like they've really found the guy that, that can kind of take them to the next level. And obviously he was a big part of doing that last year. Um, anyone else that, as you look at these rankings, you know, really jumps out um, in terms of being better or worse. I mean, Tristan Thompson talked about a little bit about him yesterday. He's been incredibly good. Three you know, for six I, on threes. Yeah. I, <laughs> did you see his attempt the other night uh, against the Sixers? Talks the, back to the bench. Yeah. Well, the, <laughs> I'm talking about the one he missed when it got knocked into the backcourt and he was basically like, you know, like the zigzag or cone dribble drill that you do. Oh, no, I did. Went behind the back, behind the back, spin move, and then launched up like a 35-footer that almost shattered the backboard. Uh, Drew Holiday is somebody we should touch on. He's he's actually ranked higher, I guess, than I thought uh, in these rankings for a guy who's shooting 36% from the field. But, I mean, with him, at least, the the defensive numbers have been good. He's averaging almost two steals a game. The assists have been great. He's still rebounding well. He's kind of one of those guys where it's, it's just right now it's all about the ridiculous inefficiency from the field for a guy who's by point guard standards been you know really really efficient. Well, I thought he was going to take twenty shots a game this year, and he's yeah. taking two fewer, so he's down to fifteen shots a game. And um, I think you know the he's just not a number one option. I mean, I I like Drew Holiday. He's you know like he has all you know third team All NBA potential. Mm-hmm. but i think he he is someone 
as kind of a combo guard that needs a better team around him to really succeed. Uh, I think he needs someone, you know, like I, I think I think, you know, having Lonzo Ball and Ingram around is good. I just don't think the the surrounding talent like does a good job of of helping Holiday, you know, putting him in a position to succeed. Um, you know, because last year and and for so many years before, the, the attention on Anthony Davis and just how skilled Anthony Davis is at just getting open and being an assist target and mm-hmm. just it, it can help free up Holiday. But I mean, he's not going to continue shooting. You know, I mean, his the the main thing both I mean both his threes and twos are down. I mean, he's he's down to forty four percent on twos and yep. and twenty three percent on threes. That's not sustainable. Yep. That's going to come up. Yeah, I think the encouraging thing for him is like the minutes are there you know the usage rate is is pretty much there for the most part and and i think now you know for me at at first it was you know when zion went down you kind of thought maybe it would help holiday's numbers and he would kind of go crazy to start the year and now i'm wondering like when zion comes back maybe that helps him maybe he gets you know another weapon another role man um but the assists have been there which is nice i think for him it it really is just finding that shot i mean he's taking the same number of threes per game as last year he's just hitting them at a significantly lower clip Getting tickets online can be far too complicated with hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability. It's hard to know who to trust. That is why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place. You can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. By searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value, SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to source for everything from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. I just used SeatGeek earlier this year, twice actually, to get tickets to Green Bay Packers games. No issues either way. Just downloaded the tickets, had them right on my phone, scanned them, boom, I was in. Super, super easy. That's how it works with SeatGeek. And best of all, our listeners get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase of $30 or more. All you have to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code ROTONBA, R-O-T-O-N-B-A. Again, that promo code is ROTONBA for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase of $30 or more. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. I do want to hit on Andre Drummond real quick, who is currently averaging 19.9 points and 16.8 rebounds per game. Um, Somebody I've always stayed away from in fantasy just because of the... The lack of three-point shooting, which, you know, as, as more and more centers become proficient in that area, you know, kind of becomes an issue. Um, you know, for, for a big guy who doesn't shoot threes, the field goal percentage is fine. You know, he's at 56% this year, uh, but he's had years where he's been closer to 50. And, you know, some of these centers are going to shoot 60 plus, And then, you know, there is a gap there. Um, but when he's averaging 20, 17, 2.2 blocks, 1.8 steals, and 3.1 assists, um, I think you're more than willing to to kind of eat some of those other issues and he's shooting almost 70 percent from the line i mean he has been i think one of the steals so far if, if you ended up taking a chance on him the, i think the well the two main things for him have been his free throw shooting like you mentioned because i was there is reason to be a little concerned or at least think that his free throw percentage would after he made the big leap like mm-hmm. three years ago from 39 percent to 60 percent that it would flatten out and it basically did last year but he's back up now and Blake Griffin being out has made Drummond part of the offense again in terms of assists, mm-hmm. where he averaged he's averaging three assists a game, which is basically what he averaged two years ago before Blake got there. Um, I think when Blake comes back, we're going to see Drummond's 
field goal attempts probably go down by one. Mm. I think his assists are going to dip if his free throw percentage regresses. I mean, all three things could just dip a little bit. And all of a sudden, he's down like 10, 15 ranks. Yep. But I agree with you. I mean, he's someone I generally don't would not draft in the first round. A lot of people draft him at the turn. I get that. Um, I, you know, I, if I was targeting him, I would usually pick him at like 15, but yep. he's, I mean, he's, he's been great. I mean, no one, you know, he puts up great defensive stats too, even though like doesn't necessarily pass the eye test on defense at all. Um, but he's just, I mean, he's an absolute monster on the yep. boards, especially offensively, which helps him get easy points. Well, I think one of the underrated things with him too, is he never misses games. Like I, right, I have Embiid in, in our stake league, which i another guy I was happy to get at where I took or where I the price I got him at I don't remember what it was but I remember thinking like okay I'm, I'm happy with this and he's already missed what two games for a suspension two or three games for rest he's been great when he's in the when he's on the court but I mean Andre Drummond has multiple 82 game seasons he's basically been 75 plus guaranteed his entire career and you know that's something you have to factor in at, at the end of the year if Embiid ends up playing 64 games and Drummond plays 80 like that you know Embiid can be the better player but it's really hard to make up a 16 game difference. Well, and Embiid, he's only averaging 29 minutes a game right now. Yeah. Like they are really pulling back with him. Yep. Which I get because when you have Al, Al Horford and the East is so weak, like that's something you can afford to do. But yeah, he's um it's it's just it's hard. Most people would never draft Drummond over Embiid, but I think I think I think drafting Drummond over Embiid like that's the probably the right choice to make like you said based on because fan, you know fantasy is especially in roto settings is about games played more than anything that's yep. why guys like on four game weeks are so valuable you stream them in yep. um, guys who are going to miss back to backs like if the you know the seventy sixers or the Clippers with Kawhi if they're on a two game week and they have a back to back or a three game with yep. with a back to back you're only getting one maybe two games out of those guys and that really hurts you for yep. fantasy because then you have to switch in someone else for them who probably isn't that good. So Drummond, 16.8 rebounds per game. Um, that would be the highest in any season for a non-Andre Drummond player since DeAndre Jordan had 15.2 uh, two seasons ago, 2017-18. But once you start looking beyond that, the list gets very sparse. And there's kind of a gap in like the 80s and 90s where barely anybody was getting to 15 rebounds per game except for one man, Dennis Rodman. Um, so it basically in like modern NBA, so like post-1975, the only guys who are even in this category in terms of volume rebounding are Dennis Rodman and DeAndre Jordan. And Drummond is closer to Rodman, I think, at his peak right yeah. now than he is Jordan. I mean, Dennis Rodman had a 18.3 rebound per game season. That was his peak. But he did that in 38.9 minutes per game. So if you, if you prorate what Drummond's doing, he's kind of right there. I mean, still a little bit below Dennis Rodman. But I, I don't think he gets quite enough credit, you know, just because Detroit goes 41 and 41 every year and has like never been relevant nationally. But like he is far and away the modern like NBA rebounding king. Like since Dennis Rodman, there's like he's kind of taken that crown. I think Dwight for a while maybe seemed like he would have it. Um, but I, I kind of did a look at the numbers and if he plays long enough and keeps this up, like he's going to be, you know, he's going to be in contention for like all time you know right. volume rebounding like top three i have to respect dennis rodman for in his final year taking two and a half shots per game and grabbing 14 rebounds just incredible non-offense he, yeah i mean the people the last thing i want to do 46 minutes into a podcast is start a lebron versus mj debate but 
that if there's like one guy if you're a superstar that you would want on your team like how about the guy who's the greatest rebounder of all time but who also <laughs> never makes shoots. it very clear that he doesn't need to shoot unless he's dunking the ball or laying it up you also know? Average, like it's just a perfect perfect setup also average three assists a game one year like he yeah very 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 willing to pass it um speaking of centers how shocked slash surprised slash disappointed are you that DeAndre Jordan is a way better fantasy player this year than Jared Allen? It's by 70 spots. <sighs> Jared Allen was on my list. Uh, he The list that I'm looking at now of, of just fantasy leaders goes up to 188 <clears throat> spots, and Jared Allen does not appear on that list. Um, I see oh, excuse me. There he does, 176. Pardon yeah. me. I spelled his name wrong in the search. Uh, he's right up there with oh Kent Bazemore. He's behind Kent Bazemore. He is ahead of Markel Fultz. So that's kind of the the rarefied error that we're talking about here. Um, I the whole time I was kind of pro Allen in this debate. We you and I went back and forth doing our projections, doing our depth charts, even like who to put at number one. And this is kind of a Alex Len like situation where they like. <laughs> It's very clear the Nets wanted Jared Allen to be that guy, and it, it started opening night when he, he missed those two free throws that would have won them the game against Minnesota. And now it's, I mean, even on nights when he's playing 20 minutes, you'll check the box score, and he has like four points on one of four shooting and two rebounds. You know, he's just, he has not gotten any better. If anything, he's gotten worse. And for fantasy purposes, yeah, I mean, it's DeAndre Jordan. I don't, I don't even know if he's a better player, but he's at least going to go out there and just like gobble up a bunch of rebounds, which Allen is not doing. Right, I was pretty in our in our staff keeper league. I got Jorgen for two dollars um, in the auction, which I was like, I'll I'll take him. Um, and yeah, I mean, Jorgen has over the past two years. It kind of started with Dallas. He started passing the ball a little bit, which helped. I think he was at three assists a game last year. Now he's at two, ten ten rebounds a game in twenty two minutes is crazy. Yeah. Uh, and he's got his shot blocking back a little bit. Sixty five percent from the field is is going to help a lot. He's only shooting 53% from the free throw line, which is like, that's pretty typical DeAndre Jordan, but he was way better than that last year. So if, if DeAndre can get his free throw percentage up to uh, to the 70% he was at last year, then he's going to continue to fly up the leaderboards. Mm-hmm. Could crack the top 70, like in fantasy potentially. I mean, last year he played 29 minutes a game on a per game basis. I think he was still, he had mm-hmm. one of his best fantasy seasons ever last year, which I think goes counter to what, most people, you know, because all you heard about DeAndre was like, oh, he's lazy. He doesn't care anymore. He doesn't block shots. But that doesn't, for yeah. fantasy, like <laughs> the numbers add up to what they add up I don't up care how, la- how lazy you are. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah no, he's, he's certainly a good name to mention. Um, and, then, and the nice thing with him, too, is he, he's not shooting free throws well, but he's only taking two a night. So he's not like absolutely murdering you in that category. Um, who else should we Did we forget on? about Will Barton? Will Barton. Did we just like write. This was like just wrote him off. This is one of my like few good calls. I feel like this okay. year it was like I was back on Will Barton. I had my concerns about the the rotation just being too deep, but weirdly they've they've been like more than happy to just throw him thirty minutes on most nights, and he's lurking right outside the top forty, right behind Derrick Rose. <laughs> the uh, the seven point nine rebounds are very surprising. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he's he's not even shooting that well, forty four percent. Although he's never like especially efficient, but he's a guy who. I don't I don't really understand how like he because I'm a like I have liked Will Barton. I don't understand how he went flew under my radar considering he's a one of those guys who can play three positions. He can play make, he can shoot a little bit. Um someone who if anyone in the Nuggets gets hurt, Will Barton is gonna get some extra minutes. And um, you know, I mean they, when they signed him, 
you know, they extended his contract and told him he'd be a starter. And for some reason, like I just totally blocked that out of my head where they're like, oh yeah, you know, maybe some Michael Porter Jr., Malik Beasley. Like I feel so stupid now. Like the MPJ hype was way over, like just that was never going to happen this early. Uh, no, I, you know, I, I thought he might actually get like 10 minutes a game just to like throw him out there and get him in sort of a rhythm and hope that like mm-hmm. over the course of the year, you could give him a few extra minutes here and there. But um, they're, I mean, right now they're not really in a position to start experimenting with Michael Porter Jr. Considering what their season is, is uh, turning out to be. And like, I'm, I'm starting to see Nuggets beat writers on Twitter, like start to really get on Jokic for yeah, the shape that he's in. There were a couple of hashtag threads today I saw about this. <laughs> Some defending him, some some going after him. I don't know how it happened though. Like he was in decent shape, it looked like during FIBA, and then there was only like a month between that and training camp. I, you know, um, I, I don't know how it happens either. Um, but Will Barton is just, you know, as you know, we've we've seen like because Jamal Murray isn't really a point guard; he's more of like a shooting guard. He kind of projects more as like a Damian Lillard yes. type. And so if, you know, and Barton's only averaging two and a half assists a game, but I almost feel more confident when Barton has the ball. Um, but yeah, I think I'd, part of me says like, I don't think he can be a top 40 player, but the shooting percentages are sustainable. The rebounding might come down, but then I would also bank on the assist going up. Yep. So yeah, I mean, he's, he's definitely someone who I was not yep. high on. All right. Let's just do a couple more. We can keep these fairly quick. Um, Laurie Markkinen is at 97. He has been real bad. Uh, another guy that I own in a couple places. And I, had, I, I, lo- I liked what he's shown in spurts in the past. I mean, he's been a great rebounder for his size. You know, he's never, he's not a super athletic guy. He's not a super big guy, but, you know, his rebounding rate last year, nine, nine rebounds a game in 32 minutes was fantastic. And he's, he's playing a little bit less this year, right around 30, but the rebounding rate is down a little bit. He is averaging a, a a steal a game and 2.1 assists. Those are both up, which is nice. But, I mean, the thing with him, and he's kind of just going through the forward version of the Drew Holiday syndrome, which is, I mean, 38.6% from the field, 27% from three. Um, in a lot of ways, I mean, it's starting to look like he he kind of might be going down that like Kevin Love, Porzingis track where obviously Kevin Love has the elite rebounding that's always kind of kept him, you know, made him really valuable. But, I mean, Laurie Markkinen is six foot 11 and you know it's a career 42.9 percent shooter you know usually those guys you know are 50 percent or above in a lot of ways and it you know maybe he's more i don't know gallinari you know who who's a little bit plays a little bit bigger um right. than, than he is like a true power forward who's going to give you those nice percentages i've always liked the the gallinari comp for Markinen. i think Markinen is a more dynamic scorer or can be a more dynamic scorer than people give him credit for he's at, he's shooting 50 percent on twos this year which would be a career high so if he actually gets his threes back on track um it could work out i'm like he's having a bad year but i'm actually not that concerned like i still it, it would be hard for me to believe that the you know his first two years in the league where he shot 36 percent on basically six attempts a game is like fake Mm-hmm. and if you you know if you're someone who's seven feet tall can shoot that well from three and grab seven eight nine rebounds per game i'm i'm just not that concerned about him long term for fantasy or in real life i think i would expect this to turn around 
Okay. Well, for, for my sake, I hope it does. Uh, Jaron Jackson's kind of been in that same category, not for the same reasons, but uh, he's, he's outside the top 100 right now. Um, turn it around of late. His last three or four games have been much better, but he, he had an injury and more concerningly, like early on, it was the same foul issues that plagued him for a lot of last season before he got hurt where, I mean, he was following at like an alarming rate, like following out of games in like 18 minutes, you know, and now he was picking up four or five fouls in 20, 22 minutes. And that was really killing him. But if, if he's able to keep that under control, I, I like him as a, as a guy who will rise up pretty steadily. His, uh, his foul rate is virtually identical to what it was last year, like per 36 minutes. It's 5.1 fouls per 36 minutes this year. Um, that's a lot. That's going, that's going to be a concern if he, if he can't shore that up, but He's just someone like, you know, he only needs the 26 to 30 minutes to, you know, if he, if he can stay in the game. The, the problem with him is, you know, if he has a bad, I think over the course of a year, if you have him on your team, if you're in like a roto league, like it'll mm-hmm. work out. But yeah. deciding whether or not to start him over certain other guys is going to be rough because he might have two or three games where he just basically fouls out and plays like 22 minutes yep. and it kind of screws you. And it's, you know, he's hard for daily fantasy for that reason um but i think um he's he's so talented offensively and and defensively the rebounding concerningly low um weird i guess that's the theme of today's podcast is like seven footers who can't rebound yeah he's he's an even worse rebounder than porzingis or marketing right so but as long as he can you know keep blocking shots keep hitting threes um i we're just gonna have to hope the fouls stay down Mm mm-hmm all right. Is there anyone else uh, on your list that you want to hit on? Um, I, not off the top of my head. I don't it is starting to stabilize a little bit more, which is nice. I mean, I think if we had done this a week ago, even with a smaller sample, you know, there would be more guys all over the board. Um, Rubio's played well. Rubio has played well. I was definitely wrong about that. I thought I was wrong about the Suns in general, as right. most people were. <laughs> like, I, I thought that was just like the worst possible place for him to go. You know, like. People don't just go salvage their careers in the mid, you know, when they're 30 years old in Phoenix, but that's kind of exactly what he's done. <laughs> and I mean, the Suns are fun to watch. Even they lost the other night against the Lakers, but they were, I mean, last year's Suns fall behind by 12, and all of a sudden it's a 25 point deficit four minutes later. And this team is, I, I don't think, I don't think they'll make the playoffs, but I, I think they can be this year's Kings. You know, they'll, they'll be around the eight seed probably at the halfway point, and I think they eventually fade away, but. I mean, they're going to smash the over, I think, for for their total. And they're going to be, they'll probably be the team that maybe beats their over by the most by season's end. Yeah, they, they, even though they lost, they completely passed the eye test of like a team that plays a modern offense that seems like it should work. Mm -hmm. They share the ball a lot. They have a lot of like backdoor cuts going. Um, They space the floor incredibly well with Aaron Baines out there, who's having a, (laughs) I, it's not really a career revitalization. He's basically having a breakout right now. I mean, he was always someone that was like clearly good yep. in Boston, but for some reason, you know, I don't think any team wanted to pay him to be their starter. But at this point, you know, I don't, I don't want to say that he's not going to start when DeAndre Ayton comes back. But I feel he's like he's not play- going to start when DeAndre. <laughs> but there's the, no way they can start him over Ayton. I think the playing time is gonna, it's gonna be closer than people. Like I think DeAndre might only play like 28 minutes. They're still gonna. It's hard for yeah. me to believe that there's that Baines is ever playing fewer than 20 minutes a game for the Suns team. I think it depends on how they do for the remainder of that suspension. So if they're, if they're six games over 500 when Aiton comes back and Baines is playing really well and he's a huge part of that, which he has been so far, then I agree with you that they make time for him. And like, I mean, 
they're Aiden's still obviously going to play and start, but it wouldn't be crazy for them to do somewhat of like an even split, you know, even, you know, they could frame it as easing him back in whatever. Um, He's back if, in for 40 games. Yeah. But if, you know, if they, if they start piling up some losses and they're right. six games under 500 and they're, they've lost five straight or something when he comes back, then I think at that point you just switch back into development mode and, you know, playing Deandre in 33 minutes and developing him is more important than, tacking on a few extra wins on what's ultimately like a 37 win season or something right you can always try playing eight and more with the bench and just having him post up a lot more mm-hmm. you know um try to get his points and get his usage that way keep him happy um yeah i mean the suns i mean they look they look really good i'm happy rubio was one of the guys i was like very willing to draft mm-hmm. like 70 ish range which is about where he went um glad he's actually being trusted to be like a real playmaker again as opposed to what happened with the jazz it's so weird looking back on that now yeah that that's the range i was loading up on terrence ross and joe ingles (laughs) ingles is probably another guy who who belongs on that list he's so bad yeah i mean james is james was saying yesterday he's higher on the on the jazz than me and part of the reason is he thinks you know if if ingles comes around their bench unit's going to be so much better but if he doesn't they're they're kind of in some trouble and might need to add a piece because other than him that bench is a little bit bleak i i mean i'm surprised I was not a guy. I was not really willing to draft Bojan Bogdanovich. Mm-hmm. Me neither. And he's top forty-five right now, averaging twenty points a game, forty-six percent from the field. Like he's he's just a scorer. I mean, yep. he um, he's looked really good for them. He's a huge part of why they're doing so well, despite you know guys like Mike Conley and Joe Ingles not playing well at all. Not at all. Okay, uh, we'll wrap things up. Make sure to check out all of our content on the site. We have our usual. DFS breakdown offerings. We got the podcast from yesterday. We got a mailbag that went up earlier this week. Uh, a bunch of new pages on the site for tracking rotation, schedule, all that kind of thing. Um, and then, of course, our Thursday roundtable for for gambling. So what was your best bet tonight? I think I see you have a parlay on here. I, I went for a parlay of Trey Young over 27 and a half, I think. Uh, yeah, over 27 and a half points and Giannis over 14 and a half rebounds. If you parlay the, those together, you get plus two eighty seven. Trey Young, like he, it, it every, every time he's played at least thirty minutes this season, he scored twenty five points. And yep. Herder being out only, you know, uh, accentuates that. And starting to feel himself on Twitter a little bit. Yeah, right. Um, Giannis averages twenty rebounds per thirty six minutes when Middleton's off the court. Just insane numbers. So, yep. um, I see you have. I went over on Giannis's points tonight. Thirty one and a half, I believe, was the line. Yeah, and I. I would feel more comfortable if it was even like 29 and a half. I think it could be that close just because they're playing the Bulls and that could get a little out of hand. And, you know, I don't, I don't think Middleton being there matters for the Bucks. I mean, they're such a, a well-oiled machine. Like I think their best trait as a team uh, that, that really kind of came to the surface last year was they just don't lose the bad teams. They, right. I think they had one loss to Phoenix. At, or maybe No, they lost to Phoenix twice last year. They did, yeah. So with the exception of the Suns, <laughs> they basically always took care of business in these type of games, no, no matter if somebody was resting or somebody was hurt. Like, you know, it was just kind of plug and play. And I think for the most part, that's how it's going to be without Middleton. Um, as we hit on yesterday, the schedule is really soft, you know, for the next month or so. So I, I, in a lot of ways, I think if there was a time for someone to go down, it was now and the Bucks won't really feel it. But it could all, you know, like if the Bucks go 15 and one over the next 16 games without Middleton, uh, I don't think it's going to make, you know, it's not really going to appease Bucks fans who are initially skeptical of that deal. Right. I mean, I mean, the Bucks just have such a, like their system is so concrete that, you know, even if you're missing a guy like Middleton, there's, they've, they've, you know, built up their bench with guys like, 
DiVincenzo, Connaughton, Sterling yeah. Brown, guys who can just hit threes and play defense. Yeah, there's really only one guy that matters on that team. And if Ersan Eliasov is hurt, then you know maybe things go down the drain. But as long as he's healthy, uh, I think the Bucks will be just fine. I can't wait to play in the NBA. I can't wait to play in the NBA. I'm waiting for the draft, working hard to improve my craft from New Orleans, Tennessee. I'm the best at shooting the three. Take you off the dribble, go past my man. I'm in the lane, now watch me slam. I can't wait to play in the NBA. I can't wait to play in the NBA. Just as a kid watching TV, already knew where I wanted to be. Started out as just a dream, but my family believed in me. I played for Vandy, the USA, and now I'm headed to the NBA. I can't wait to play in the NBA. I can't wait to play in the NBA. I Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.